I really hate doing these introductions. It feels very strange to introduce myself while no, we're no. recording this because it's like, oh, we're going to have to have an introduction for who we are, for who our listeners are, but I'm talking to you and they're not here, but I have to introduce myself to people and you already know who I am. So, um, I'm Kelly, and I'm with um, guiding. I'm, I'm with guiding light. And I'm Shannon, and I'm with SNS Wellness. You know, I, I'm not gonna lie. Last episode, whenever I did those little like moments, I edited them out completely. Mm-hmm. And now I feel like that one just has to stay in there. Yeah, that had good placement. It did. It was like a really good, like, brain fart. Yeah, it's a good icebreaker. Yes. So today, after listening back and editing the last one, um, I'm not going to say um as much. This is going to be my challenge, and it's going to be so, so hard because I've got one um in here, and that's the only one I'm allowing myself to have. (laughs) You might want to do some clearing around that. I should do some clearing around that because I don't like saying um because I think it sounds those fillers I don't like filler sounds like when I go back and I listen through and Mm -hmm. it's really interesting for me because if I go to like a presentation at work and the speaker says um a lot I have this idea that they're not as credible as they could be so I definitely, fun fact, now have some clearing to do around that. Thanks, Shannon. Mm-hmm. And that kind of brings into discussion what we want to talk about this week, which is we wanted to find some of the terms that we used in our first episode because we realized we've been in this for a little while and we have the vocab. But if you're just starting out, you might not have the vocab. And as much as I love Google, Google isn't always helpful when you're doing intuitive work, I think is the best way I can phrase it. Well, it can, it can be a resource. It can, it can be, I'll, uh, I, I will say it can be a resource, not the resource. It's a good, a good way to get direction when you're looking for something but it's also something that can lead you down a rabbit hole or lead you astray so when you're first starting i think using google just to kind of check things is is good but in the last episode we talked about some tools that that we use to kind of further clarify when we need guidance and I think when when you want answers to things you you need to kind of check multiple sources Mm -hmm. and also ask for your own version of the truth in that and that's one of I think the things that that we do Mm -hmm. daily multiple times a day is checking for, you know, the the truth in whatever situation is or whatever 
um, conversation is going on, if it actually makes sense to us and feels good and I'll say right and light to us Mm -hmm. because all sources are not created equal and all similar terms or same terms are not meant to mean the same thing to each, each person. So, um, not knocking Google. I use Google daily. (laughs) Oh, no, no, no. Don't get me wrong. I, I love Google. I think my struggle with Google, especially, and we'll kind of talk a little bit more about this a little bit later on when I'm channeling and I'm trying to learn more about whatever collective I'm working with. Oh yeah. I've had a lot of collectives come through that don't necessarily have a name pop up on Google. Yeah. And I like Google because it can give you information. And, you know, just before this, I was Googling the difference between two different tools that I have that I'm learning how to use mm-hmm. a bit more effectively. And Google's great for that. I like Google when I'm looking at tools. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I like going to Google as a source of validation. Yeah. No, that's, that's actually, that's actually a good point. That's a good point. I, cause I use, um, dream interpretation mm-hmm. and there was, there was a, an app that I used well, it was, it was a website and then they created an app mm-hmm. that I felt was the best kind of most thorough resource that I had found. Yeah. Went to that religiously for years to interpret the dreams that I was having. And then I, I don't even know why I stopped going to it. Uh, be, well, no, actually I do. I do know why I was listening to a, an interview through, mm-hmm. Um, one of the Hay House events, yeah, where they do like their annual events, and it's like a hundred interviews in like a week or something. And one of them was on dream interpretation, and they were talking about how there's so many resources out there to have the signs and symbols and things that pop up in your dreams interpreted for you, so you can make some sense of it. But then the premise was that one definition might not actually be applicable to the to each person who needs it. So it could be yeah. different. And they were like, create your own dream dictionary. It's like, Oh my God, what a concept. But it yeah. was also the first kind of foray I had into not taking the single source of truth that I had known as that actual single source of truth. And it was just, it was just really eye opening to know that I could interpret something for myself and it actually be more accurate than something deemed as an act, you know, a a reputable source. I think that's the other thing too, that's important when we talk about truth. And this is something that I know has been stressed to us a lot as we've done our courses Mm -hmm. is not everyone has the same truth. Mm -hmm. So my truth is different than Shannon's truth because of our experiences through our journeys, through our lives, where we're at in our clearing work where we're at in our journeys I would even say that sometimes truth can be different based on your age just because your life experiences are very different Um, so my truth is going to feel very different than Shannon's truth and when we talk about truth it's it's very a lot of people want to say that truth is truth no matter what Uh, Mm -hmm. and that that's a really interesting perspective for me to see, uh, I studied philosophy 
I have a bachelor's degree in it. Hmm. And philosophers have debated what truth actually is for generations. And I think defining truth as very individualistic hmm. is very truthful for me. I have, I, my truth is going to be different than anybody else's. And I'm okay with that because the thing too is my truth is going to change as I change. And I think that's really important to consider when we start to define things. So as we give you these definitions and explain these different terms, test them for you and see if they fit your truth, especially when we're looking at how we describe different systems. Mm-hmm. Um, the example I can think of is the chakra system. Uh, that's one of the, the things that we started learning and testing a little bit more as to whether or not it resonates with us. Mm-hmm. And even before I knew what truth testing was, chakras didn't seem light and right to me. They felt very gritty. Like, mm-hmm. not like grids, but gritty, mm-hmm. like it didn't feel, didn't feel good. Mm-hmm. And there's still some things for me that while I know they're very beneficial, still have kind of that little bit of a rub. Mm-hmm. And one of those uh, is Reiki. Mm-hmm. I, I struggle with getting to Reiki and I know that there might be some wounding there that I need to clear, but I haven't gotten to that point yet. Mm-hmm but I need to because I need to do my level one and two certificate. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that the, I have a, I don't want to say a love hate relationship. I actually have a a love love relationship with Reiki because that's kind of, that was my ultimate gateway. Mm -hmm. And I really, really like the principles of Reiki and I like the idea of, you know, loving one another, respecting one another, respecting the environment, mm-hmm. give, being a person who lives in gratitude and, um, you know, tries to live an honest life. Like the principles yeah. of Reiki are actually really beautiful. But I think what kind of made me wonder about kind of the, the system of Reiki was a couple of things so one was kind of the the all of the different varieties of it mm-hmm. it's almost like you know you have the english language but you have a variety of dialects that also are still considered english but it's mm-hmm. it it almost seems like what is it really if there are so many different variations yeah um, not you know right wrong and different not to say it's bad but that that's one thing I, I think I question, but then also the, I like the structure of it, but also the structure of it can be a little rigid. Mm-hmm. So the certain hand positions and, you know, like you said, the seven chakras or eight chakras mm-hmm. and it literally, everything literally hinging on those things and nothing more that never quite sat well with me. So I think expanding and working with other Reiki masters has helped me to one, appreciate the practice even more. So like Mm -hmm. my love for it has 
has strengthened, but it's also helped expand and see that it is just a tool in my toolkit. It's not the end all be all because there's so much more out there and that it, it can do so much, but it can only go so far. So you use the tool for what it is and then you pull in another to do the rest of the job. Yeah. I think my struggle with Reiki is when it comes into my field, it feels very distorted. And I think that's one of the things that we can kind of define for everyone. Distortion is, uh, I think the best way to explain distortion is when things don't fit right or the message isn't coming through as clear or it's got bumps in it. Mm -hmm. So for me, Reiki gets really distorted or feels like it's been distorted from what it was. Oh yeah. Very, very hard for me to get into it. Um, and I, I really appreciate, um, those who have worked to try and teach me Reiki. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I want to explore or see what will happen is if I take Reiki with a different teacher, what happens Mm -hmm. because I've only taken Reiki with that person. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's necessarily their tones aren't landing with me or if it's just the distortion that is Reiki that's not landing. Mm -hmm. Because it was really, really hard for me to sit and watch those classes. Mm -hmm. It was also, I read the manuals. Like I read them and even reading the manuals, as I was reading them, I have this moment and I've had it my entire life when I'm doing anything that's like schoolwork, Mm -hmm. where if it feels like bullshit, I start cussing at it and my notes get to be really sarcastic And as I was reading through the Reiki manual, I, you know, caught myself like cussing in my notes and being very sarcastic about the notes I was writing. And I was like, do I need to go back and look at something for this? Or is it just, just not something for me? And I think that's something to, to consider is that not every tool is going to resonate the way you want it to. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And as much as I love the idea of Reiki and I like what Reiki stands for, I don't know that Reiki is the type of energetic healing that I want to use or that feels right for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes, that makes perfect sense. I know, I, I know a very, very good healer who said that the, the symbols that are used in Reiki distorts her kind of natural energetic power. And I was like, Oh, okay. I can see how that's possible, but it doesn't, it doesn't make it wrong. It doesn't make her way. Right. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't actually mean anything. It's just, that's not something that she is meant to practice. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if you aren't resonating with it, then there's, it just might not be something that's, supposed to be in your toolkit for sure I think one of the interesting thing too is I've been able to use light language Mm. to help direct energetic healing for myself and I've tried it with one other person and it worked well for them Mm -hmm. but what I did was I literally took like um 
a marker or a pen and I just wrote the light language on the skin over where the injury was. Mm -hmm. And I was like, don't wash this off, let it come off naturally. And that helped. And I don't know what it was about it, but that works for me as a healing modality. And could you explain, so I understand what that means, but could you explain like, what, what exactly would you say is light language? Um, so, ooh. so light language comes through as, for me, it comes through as a series of symbols that I will draw in different colors in my notebook that I have reserved for channeling and light language. It, it's something that you can see just kind of in front of you kind of dancing in the waves in front of you. Um, Oh man. I think light language is also a way that we receive data. Uh, And a lot of, and we'll go into this in a little bit, but a lot of collectives will use light language to give you data sets to help you move through things. And when I talk about data, I'm talking about energetic frequencies. I'm talking about what we call downloads as, and there's some kind of information that just kind of drops into your awareness and eventually it gives you something so that you can just kind of produce something else. Mm -hmm. And I think light language for me has been a very big conduit for how I get my my downloads and how I get my data sets. Mm -hmm. Um, It's also become a tool for me I can use light language now to draw out Akashic loops that I want to collapse and get the data that way. That's become one of my tools. So light language, I think oftentimes is not only data, but it can also be used as a tool. And I think that's something that's very unique to some of the ways I practice. I don't know too many other healers that use light language in that way. Mm -hmm. But I think that's the best way I can explain light language. How would you explain it? Yeah, you actually, so when you were saying that, the one thing that I I was hoping you would say is kind of the the source of the language. And you said that it's it's something that kind of, that's something that you receive from collectives. Mm -hmm. And so knowing that it's not, it's not something that is your own, but knowing that it's Mm -hmm. something that is, that is given. So you receive it. Mm -hmm. And the so the the term I think collectives that might be something that we we might want to talk about because that is something that's related to kind of receiving a download or receiving a data set. Yeah, and for sure. We I think we well I don't want to say I think we both receive downloads. Everyone actually receives downloads. <laughs> for sure. So. <laughs> Everyone yeah. downloads all day, every day. It's just a matter of whether you you know it and actually are willing to be open to receive it. I think the other thing with downloads that's um, kind of fun to know when you're aware of them is I like to track the download through my body and see where it settles. Mm-hmm. Because I think that also tells me a lot about where that language, that data is coming from and what it needs to do for me. So 
I think the other thing with downloads and data is so many people, and I there's no wrongness to this, but so many people think of having the third eye as your only lens for information. Mm-hmm. But it's really important. And I think for me, it's a lot easier to think of my entire body as a radar because mm-hmm. that's how I get more of my awarenesses than mm-hmm. just focusing on this idea that I need to be clear, whatever. Because that's not how I get awarenesses of certain things. So if we were to start talking about collectives, and I'll let you explain what collectives are, but for example, when my body is acting as my radar, when the demonic collective comes through, I get very nauseous. Mm -hmm. If it's an angelic, I get very kind of like shaky. So that's how I know what collective is coming through. Mm -hmm. And I I think that's important to consider when you're starting to work with data sets and downloads. Yeah. Yeah. I like, I like what you say about your whole body being the radar. I know when I first started learning about the chakras and being able to receive information, it was literally just the third eye. And it was, mm-hmm. you aren't getting anything unless your third eye is open. Yeah. And I was like, well, how do I open it? Where, how do I, what are the steps? What do I need to eat? What do I need to, who do I need to see to open this thing? <laughs> and it yeah. was, it was like, that was the focus. Mm-hmm. And actually, I think for a long time, I thought it was a little bit of a failure because I don't think it had opened. Mm. And I, I noticed that you know, other people could see things and I'll, you know, use air quotes, see things that I couldn't. And, um, I just, I kind of, I kind of laugh now because it, it literally is receiving in all, all forms mm-hmm. that are, are important and, and actually very valuable. It's not just a vision coming from your forehead. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is something that we can probably talk about later on down the road. Cause I don't want to get on too big of a tangent when talking about like the third eye, because yeah. I've got a lot of, how do I say this? I've got a lot of things that I've played with in regards to the third eye because uh-huh. right. If we're talking the chakra system, it's associated with a certain dimensional field. Yes. And I think the other thing with the third eye is, it's right in the middle of our sinuses. So when we talk about having third eye blockages, like I used to always think I was blocked because I have such crazy spring allergies that when I get like sinus pressure and everything like that, it sits in that third eye spot. Uh And so I used to think that I would never be able to see anything because it was so blocked up by all of the other stuff in my body. And now that I can look at my body as an entire radar, when I feel that pressure in that spot, it's not so much my third eye is blocked, but there's something I'm not willing to receive. Yes. So I think that's the, we can, we can talk about that a little later on, but I think that's important for people who are starting this journey is you aren't blocked. I think when we talk about blocks and 
energetic blocks. I think we can say that there are blocks, but not to the extent that, oh, you have to eat this food, you have to follow this diet, you have to do X, Y, and Z to clear that block. Mm-hmm. I think when we talk energetic blocks, it's something we're not willing to look at. It's something we're not willing willing to heal. Or we've decided that we're just going to hold that there because we don't want to play in a certain game mm-hmm. or step up to a certain plate. Yeah. But I think yeah. that's an entirely different topic. But do you want to just briefly explain uh, collectives and some of your experiences with them? Yeah, I can, I can do it based on my current understanding (laughs) (laughs) because that is evolving. Um, Yeah. I mean, the, the way, the way I like to think of collectives is, is almost like different. So like we're we're both in the United States. So Mm -hmm. there there are like thousands of collectives of, you know, the way I, I understand it, but I, I like to think of them as kind of, and I, I'm going to use the United States as, a, as an example. So you've, you've got 50 states mm-hmm. and each state kind of has its own identity. It's got its own landmarks. It's got its own dialect. It's got um, kind of just its own way of thinking and being. Mm-hmm. And you can think of the people that are native to that state as the collective of California or the collective of Texas or Maryland Mm -hmm. or wherever. Yeah. And they kind of have an energetic signature Mm -hmm. that is known for that. So that, you know, they could be really upbeat. They could be, um, you know, and love, love the sun, or they can be, you know, people who love winter weather, but they all have kind of commonalities about them that you know you are talking to a blah when they display these characteristics. Mm -hmm. So collectives in the way that we're talking about them are kind of like your 50 states, but in space. (laughs) Yeah, I I think uh, I, I agree entirely. I think with my lensing on collectives, it's also, um, we think about humanity as having races Yes. I I think you could also refer to a collective as a race of being. Yes. I think the other thing too is if you do think of collectives in terms of races, you have to understand that there are different subsets of those collectives. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So when I work with the demonics, I am working with a certain subset of that collective. I'm not necessarily working with all of them all of the time. Right. The same thing when I'm working with, let's say, a reptilian, right? I think reptilians typically get a really bad rap because of a good chunk of their subset. But it's really important to realize that not every single member of a collective is the same just like not every single member of the human race is the same yes yep yep yeah they all have their own energetic signature they all have their personalities Mm -hmm. and just because yeah like 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 you just said just because they are from a name of a collective doesn't mean that they are they represent all yeah and i think it's it's really interesting when you start working with collectives and you can tell me of, with your experience with this, 
it's really interesting because there's certain aspects collectives typically have very similar natures but -hmm. their personalities come through differently i've had right so kind of my experience with the demonics is they come across as kind of very sarcastic and a little smarmy and when i work with them um I cuss a lot as is, but I feel like it goes up to the next level and my sarcasm goes up. Mm-hmm. But there are some demonics I've worked with where I've cussed or there has been cussing around me and they actually bristle at it. Hmm. Which has been a really interesting thing because I've never thought of a demonic as being, no, don't cuss. Mm-hmm. But it was like, it kind of reminded me of like that prim and proper old lady, like, you don't do this this way. Like, this is how you do it. Yeah. And it's really interesting when you work with collectives because you'll work with beings from any age. And I think this demon was kind of an older, more traditional demonic than let's say the, the demonics that are starting to free themselves more. Mm-hmm. I think she had kind of been released from her contract a lot earlier, which is why she kind of had this different nature to her. Got it. Okay. Yeah. And I, I think when I, when I say nature, I pretty much mean like personality or mm-hmm. commonality and common traits. But what have been some of your experiences with collectives? Hmm. Some of my experiences with collectives. So I, I think I've bridged with maybe four or five. Mm -hmm. but I'm not yet to the point where I'm kind of like actively calling Mm -hmm. on them or actively like they're not actively kind of dropping things in like, Oh, she needs this. Drop it in. Um, It's more, I'm kind of getting, it's, it's more like I'm coming home. Like I'm bridging the gap of, of that collective because I I once was that. So like, reintegrating that into into my energy field and yeah it's been like four or five of them so it's been really cool to have kind of the the channeled messages and have the drawings and have all of that come through because it's it it feels so real when it happens but it also feels really comforting because it's you know it's an aspect of yourself it's an aspect of something that you once knew so it's um it's just it's almost like deja vu. It's like reliving a a really cool memory. So would you say that you're having more of a soul recall experience with collectives than like a channeling experience with collectives? Yeah, I think it's actually a little bit of both. Okay. I think it's a little bit of both. Yeah. Because it's um, actually what was, what was really cool is when we, we, so one of our assignments was to pick a planet Mm-hmm. and to you know just get in touch with the planet and see what happens yeah so I picked Jupiter mm-hmm. and it actually Jupiter picked me I didn't even pick Jupiter but the the second I kind of just got quiet and tried to connect it was almost it was like this flood of you know images that I got and then it was just this long conversation with what I realize is, you know, myself as a resident of the planet Jupiter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, but yeah, it was just this long conversation and it was just like talking to an old friend. Yeah. And we, we were, you know, recalling memories and recalling relationships and just, it was, it was, you know, really, really cool, but it was the way that I would talk about certain things, mm -hmm. but there were also nuances of it that I, things that I would just never say. Yeah. So it was, you know, to answer your question, it was, it was both because it just, it felt, it felt familiar, but it also felt foreign at the same time. Yeah. So I just kind of want to unpack what I mean by soul recall and also channeling. So yeah. when we, when we talk about soul recall, we're talking about aspects of self that you've left in other places or with other beings. Yep. So and the, and the, the beings could be human or not. Yes. So I've done a lot more soul recall with other humans than mm. I have with collectives so far. I've had a couple collectives where it was really easy to tell that the being I was working with was myself. Mm -hmm. And because that like familiarity was there, like it's really interesting when you come across um, a collective that was you, but you also have wounding with that collective. Mm. So I did um, a pod a while back where we actually had a Martian collective come through mm -hmm. and I had a lot of wounding with the collective because when I had been in this collective, I had actually been enslaved by the like higher ups of the collective. Mm. So I had trauma with that and I didn't really want to work with the collective until in the pod, we all worked through our wounding and then eventually I could reintegrate that part of myself. Okay. So it was almost um, like a, like a forgiveness of sorts. Yeah. So, and then when we, I'm realizing as I'm talking, I'm coming up with way more terms, but when we talk about wounding, we mean some kind of like emotional trigger or emotional charge with that collective that yeah. tends to have what we would consider to be a negative association. Yes. When it comes for me, when it comes to recall with a lot of other collectives, I don't have too much wounding so they can just drop in and I can just go. Um, it was really easy for me to bring back on my arachnid and my demonic and my angelic levels, like those just like fell back in and it was like, okay, I'm good to go. Mm -hmm. um, I've had a lot of collectives come through in terms of just kind of like, hey, we're here when you're ready to make contact, we're ready. Mm -hmm. And then I've also had a number come through in terms of channeling, but not always the traditional idea of channeling. Um, I'll channel light language instead of like channeling into English. Mm -hmm. So I've had about two or three collectives that have come through as just like channeling. And when we talk about channeling, channeling is a lot like mediumship where you're bridging with another being, but instead of being the bridge between you and that other being and explaining to someone else what's going on, you allow that being to come into your energy and just flow through. So it's like they come in and whatever they want comes out your mouth. Um, that's not to say that when you are channeling, there aren't distortions and that they can't be interrupted because they can be. Mm -hmm. I've had a channel where it was interrupted and that was a very interesting experience because it didn't feel right. I had some tones come through the other day as a song 
and I kept trying to sing the words for the song. And when I tried to sing it out loud, the words weren't working. They kept being distorted. Hmm. So what I had to do was I had to hum the melody as I ended up drawing out light language. And then I was able to let that channeling flow. It wasn't something where it just kind of came, came through really easy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's really important while you're on this journey to acknowledge that channeling does take a little bit of work to get to and it can take work to do when you want to do it when i channel i put on classical music and then i sit down and let things flow some people need complete silence some people you know need to be completely alone so channeling is very unique for everybody who does it yeah yeah i I'm more of the need to kind of sit and not necessarily focus, but just sit and be in a space where, where I can be quiet. Yeah. And you, I, oh, I feel sorry. like that. Yeah. Sitting, just sitting and being quiet. Cause when I, um, when I draw, I'm usually just kind of sitting in and being quiet mm-hmm. when yeah, it's actually, it actually has been, <laughs> I'm just trying to re- recount like a few of the times, but it's interesting because I feel like the, I, I get information. It's, it's more downloads than channeling, mm-hmm. um, but it's, it's, some of it is very specific about, you know, instructions on how to do something or, mm-hmm. or, you know, it, information that someone else needs mm-hmm. and it's not necessarily a you know big channeling from a collective that wants to relay a message on behalf of you know insert whatever here mm-hmm. but when that has happened I noticed that I am really quiet and I'm really yeah. just trying to you know not do anything and then it just drops Yeah, I, it really depends on what's kind of going on around me. When I channel, I can't just write what's going on, what's coming through on a piece of paper. Mm -hmm. I have to type it out because it comes through so fast. I can't write fast enough to keep up with it. And I put a lot of judgments on my writing. So even I can bump up against the channel I'm doing by starting to place judgments on it instead of letting it flow. Yeah. So, um, when I flew back from Chicago, I had a channel come through and that was a very interesting experience because I was sitting next to two very religious ladies on my plane (laughs) and I had this channel come through and I was like, I don't have paper with me. And I was like, okay, I have to do this now. So I grabbed my phone, I opened up my notes app and I just typed it out. And it was really interesting because it kind of went on a couple of themes that we had talked about in our circles and some groups. And since then, I haven't really gotten too much more from that collective. Like they came in, they gave me that message and they were like, okay, we're out. Mm -hmm. So that's also interesting. And it's also opened a lot of other collectives up to me that I 
haven't played with yet, but I know there's something there when I do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you've opened, you've shown that you're open and willing. Yeah. uh, Like, honestly, that, that is it. Like you've, you've opened the door and you've, you've said, you know, I want to be an invitation and it's, it can be that simple and whatever, you know, energetic match yeah they have to you they're gonna they're gonna come yeah so I'm trying to think what else we have on our list and I think energetic match actually leads me into something that we mentioned very briefly in our last episode I don't think we talked about it too too much and that's walk-ins oh yeah And so I just want to kind of explain what a walk-in is because I know Shannon and myself have both had Mm walk-ins. And when I say had walk-ins, that's a very interesting term to use because when we're talking about walk-ins, we're talking about another spirit sharing your body. Uh, And there can be... I'm going to call them different categories of walk-ins. So you can have a walk-in that is an energetic match. So basically with that, you were at one vibration, they were at the same vibration and boom, you collide. And now you're sharing a body. You can have a walk-in that is what we call corded and contracted, which means that you have made an agreement for that walk-in to come into your body with you. Mm-hmm. And then there's something that I would call the original occupant walk-in. And that's a little different than the other two in that when you remove the walk-in, you're actually crossing over the original occupant of the body. So when I talk about those, I am talking about... Uh, kind of a subset of the corded and contracted walk-in. These beings have been corded with your or contracted by your ancestral line to come in, clean some stuff up, and then move on. So when I talk about having a walk-in for myself, I technically didn't have the walk-in, but I am the walk-in. You might need to go over that one again. Okay. So, um, yeah. So that one's, it's so, it seems once you're in it, like, it's like, oh yeah, I was the walking. It's fine. But when you're living it, it's like, wait a second. But so that one is basically, there is a soul that comes through your family line. That is your family line. Right. So in this situation, I, whatever soul came through my mother, that was meant to be in this body was attached to that family line. I was contracted in to come into this body with that soul to help clean things up for that family line. Hmm. So what that means is when I had my walk-in crossed over, I actually had my original occupant crossed over. Mm-hmm. So the person who was tied to the family line was brought, oh, I don't want to use this term because I don't want to have to define it, but was brought and crossed over through 
the uh, I don't want to use it, but it wants to it wants me to say it. It was brought through the Bardos. So yeah. okay. um that is why there are different types of walk-in, right? So when you have a vibrational match walk-in, I think that's probably the easiest one to work with and clear. Mm -hmm. I think when you start to have a corded and contracted walk-in, um, those are kind of like next level. Like they're not difficult to cross over, but they take a little bit more work to cross over. And then mm -hmm. when you've got an original occupant that you're crossing over, that's a little, little bit more work. So you actually look at the cord with the family line and the contract with the family line to cross them over versus just the cord that they have with the individual. Yeah. Yeah. That, I think that's a really good categorization. Um, because I like my, my walk-in was, was an energetic match. Okay. And I know exactly when it came in, I know, uh, exactly the energetic signature mm -hmm. I know exactly the impact of having that energy field shared in my you know single physical body yeah and I know the impact of removing it but I also know the relief of removing it as well yeah yeah and so it, it it's it, it, it is a distinct energetic signature that is a side that is different from yours, but it is sharing your same physical apparatus. Yeah. So it was really interesting. Um, I didn't realize it this week, but I had, I had two vibrational match walk-ins come in this week. Cause I was very much playing a very 4d game this week because I, and normally I'm not not too too 4D, but I have moments where I go into it because I am human. Mm -hmm. But um, had oh man, it was bad because I had two come in, and I didn't realize the second one had come in until after I was talking to Benita for a little while. And she's like, Kelly, are you sure that you're the only one in your body right now? And I was like, Yeah, why? And then I started to do my truth test, and I was like, That mother. And I was like, dang it. And then immediately like cleared it. And it's really interesting when you have a walk-in come into your body because I felt really, really out of it. I didn't feel myself and I couldn't sit up straight, which is something that's really interesting to me. Like just couldn't straighten my spine at all. Hmm. And then I was like, oh, that's what it is. Took care of it cleared it and I could sit up straight and pop my back again. Mm -hmm. But um, I think it's also interesting when you start to do some of these work with these walk-ins, when I had my walk-in crossed over and I'm going to refer to her as a walk-in, but when I had my walk-in crossed over, it was really interesting because it was the first time in my entire life that my body was completely mine. Mm -hmm. And I had to get used to the fact that I could take up space. Mm -hmm. And I, I think when you work with walk-ins, that's something that's really interesting to start to play with. And it's not something that you really think about. Yeah, that, 
you talking about that actually just made me think of an entire episode. So <laughs> Ooh, look at that. We're going to do one on walk-ins. Ugh. Well, not, not necessarily just walk-ins, but the, the impact of energy clearing. Ooh, I love your brain. That's a, that's an entire episode or two. For sure. Um, <laughs> And that brings us to our next vocab word, which is clearing, <laughs> which I'm going to like, sh let Shannon talk about. <laughs> um, yeah. So clearing uh, there, I mean, so I, I think there's multiple types of, of clearing, but when, when we're, when we're saying we're clearing something from our field or clearing something from our kind of way of thinking, we're, we're talking about, not using kind of a certain mindset or not using not succumbing to a certain pattern in life and there are different ways to to clear so i mean a, one of the quickest and easiest things i think to to understand is you know a lot of people say that they do mindset work or mm -hmm. you know you want to have a positive positive mindset and I know law of attraction is big on, you know, think positive, don't think ne negative, make sure you have, you know, gratitude and think happy thoughts and happy things will come back to you. Mm -hmm. But if you do have those negative thoughts and then that turns into a pattern of behavior that obviously can, can manifest itself into any, any number of things in your life, but there there are ways to kind of clear or release those limiting beliefs and those ways of, of being so that you can retrain your brain to think of more neutral or more positive things. So we, we use things like clearing statements mm -hmm. to, you know, clear that neural pathway or clear that thought from being in our you know popping into our brain mm -hmm. we use clearing in the sense of you know i i have this pain in my shoulder or something mm -hmm. and usually the pain in your shoulder is a symptom of something else so like kelly was talking earlier about the sinuses and the third eye and things being blocked and you have to dig being able to say okay well the pain in my shoulder is actually related to me being stubborn at work and not wanting to you know take on the project mm -hmm. it's okay well let me figure out the action that actually started the drama at work that caused the pain in my shoulder mm -hmm. i can clear that thought pattern i can clear that action so one, the action doesn't happen again, but I can clear it so my shoulder can stop hurting. Because usually the, the shoulder hurting is just a trigger that something needs to, there, there's some digging that needs to happen. We also do clearing from a kind of historical perspective. Mm -hmm. So you've heard us say Akashic loops mm -hmm. and the Akashics are, it's almost it's not the subconscious. It's akin to the self con uh, the subconscious. Um, 
but it's kind of like all of the records and all of the things that you have experienced in in your time as a human being Mm -hmm. and the patterns and circumstances that you find yourself in today can be a direct impact or it can be a direct uh, line to something that you experienced in any number of past lives as as a human being so these are the things that would be uh, housed in your Akashic records so you can clear if you're I'll just use work as an example so if you're repeatedly experiencing a pattern of um, you know negativity or a pattern of feeling a certain way in your you know place of work you might be able to look in your Akashic records and and find a pattern or series of lives where you had difficulty at work or you had difficult coworkers or you had a really, really good time at work. And then all of a sudden there was a downfall and there was all, you know, a negative, negative time at work and you vowed to never have a good time at work again. And that kind of spirals into your current, your current experience. So you can look at those things and then clear them by making peace with them and saying, you know, nope, that's not something that's relevant to me anymore. I am now not claiming this. I'm letting this go. And let the the pattern or sorry, the process of forgiving yourself for taking on that thought or having that experience and then making peace with not only yourself, but everyone else in the, in that experience. Mm-hmm. is what we call is is clearing in kind of the bigger sense when it comes to like akashics and in past past lives. Yeah, I I really agree. I really like how you talk about clearing. When I kind of think about clearing, I also think about it as like a removal of sorts. Mm, so yeah. when we talk about clearing a walk-in, we're removing a walk-in if we're talking about clearing entities then we're talking about removing entities when we talk about clearing those loops and those akashic records i think of them as kind of removing them from our energy fields and with clearing statements there's a couple different resources that we were given and i think one is the access consciousness clearing statements Mm mm-hmm And I can't remember what the other one is, but you can Google clearing statements to find one or a system that works for you. I know that I, my roommates, when I first started learning about clearing statements and started clearing, they adopted their own version of a clearing statement. And when we're talking about clearing statements, we're we're basically talking about an energetic sentence to remove that energy from your field. So my typical clearing statement is everywhere I bought and sold the idea that, and then whatever it is that I'm looping on, I clear uncreate and distort D across all nine POC, POD, short boys and beyond. And that clearing statement works really well for me. And then I also do a couple snaps at the end and then I shake my hands and that's how I work through clearing for myself. I have walked some of the people I know through clearing statements and they've kind of adapted it a little bit. And this is where I'm going to 
fair warning, I'm about to cuss. My roommates adopted their clearing statement to be fuck that shit clearing statement. And then they'd snap and then they'd move <laughs> forward. So <laughs> the, <laughs> and I love it. I just, that doesn't work for me because it doesn't feel like it carries the same kind of energy that I need. Yeah. But you can use that as a clearing statement. It's just the intention behind it is the important part. Yeah. The intention is all that matters. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing, too, with Akashics is really interesting. I always think about my Akashic records as being in a library or as part of a web. So depending on where I'm spinning in my Akashic records, I'll either imagine taking it off the shelf and throw it in the trash can if I'm ready to get rid of it, or I imagine plucking it from the, the threads of the web and just destroying it that way. Hmm. So there's so many different ways when you start to get to where you, when you're clearing things and working through things that you can do, mm-hmm. right? The way I do my Akashic clearing may not work for Shannon and the way Shannon does her Akashic clearing may not work for me, but we're still doing the same thing. It just looks a little different. Yeah. And I think that's honestly, that is the one thread that is consistent. Mm-hmm. We're all doing the same thing. It just looks a little different and that's okay. Yeah. There's, there is no wrongness to doing your own thing, right? We are all different energetic beings. We all have our own different spins and webs and our own energies. And you need to do things the way it feels right for you. Yeah. I think one of the things I, I've seen a lot with people who go through these kind of journeys and take a lot of classes is they feel they need to do it the exact way they got taught it in class. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting for me because I haven't done a lot of energy work classes. Uh, way showers is actually my first like class class that I'm like going through and learning how to work with my intuition and build my intuition. Mm-hmm. It, for most of what I've done with my intuition, it's just kind of been like, I'm going to wing it and hope for whatever happens, happens the way I would like it to. Mm-hmm. And that works for me for the first little while with my intuition. But now that I've cleared a lot of stuff, I still have my way of doing it. And I do still wing it half the time. And most of that is because I couldn't explain to you how I do what I do. I just yeah. do it. Yeah, it just happens. <laughs> and I... I think one of the things, and this is a belief system I have, and this may not be true for everybody, but for me, if I were to try and do things the exact way I was taught, I don't think it would work energetically for me because it wouldn't feel, it wouldn't feel right. It wouldn't feel real in my field. Mm -hmm. And so it wouldn't feel like the tones and the intent is coming across the way it's meant to. Like Mm -hmm. I've looked back at how to cross over or walk in so many different times in my notes and yeah, that's a great process, but I have to do it a little bit differently for it to work in my energy. And I've never crossed a walk in over the same way twice. Well, yeah, because they're all different. Exactly. So I think that's really important to remember is I don't think you can standardize your energy work and your energy clearing because everything you work through is going to look different. 
Yeah. Um, I think one of the other things that when we talk about clearing, and I think you covered a lot of it, but we also talk about clearing cords and contracts. And I mentioned cords and contracts with walk-ins. But yeah. when I talk about cords and contracts, I think we can kind of think about that web idea again. And it's everything that connects you to someone else in your life, right? Mm -hmm. So you have a cord and contract with every single person in your life whether you realize there's a cord there or not. And when I talk about a cord and a contract, I am talking about an energetic agreement between you and someone else. Mm -hmm. So here's the thing with cords and contracts, right? A lot of times we want to assign right and wrong because as humans, we like our binary. Now, it's really important when you're working with cords and contracts to realize a cord and contract is not necessarily a bad or a good thing, mm -hmm. right? They dance along that spectrum. And I think there's so many things in this world that when you really start doing the work, you don't put those duality points there. You can flow between them. Mm -hmm. So when I talk about accord, I'm talking about this energetic agreement between you and someone else. For example, I had a really, really annoying and very frustrating chord with someone that I work with. And it was this dance that we had done lifetime after lifetime after lifetime. So mm -hmm. the chord was not only there, but there was an Akashic layer to that chord. Mm -hmm. And in that chord, I had agreed that because in a past life I had succeeded more than she had, I would let her try and take control over what was going on and that I would let her intimidate me into being quieter in this life, in this life. Okay. So that cord drove me nuts because I could see it, but I had such an emotional charge to it. I couldn't clear it. Yep. And it got to the point, and, and this is really important to realize when you start to work with cores and contracts, is you have to realize that if you still have an emotional charge to it, there's still something there that you have to clear before you can remove that cord. Yeah. Typically, when I'm working with cords, I worked with them where I don't have an emotional trigger, but I can accept them for what they are and the lessons they gave me. Yeah. I'm glad, I'm glad you said the word lesson, because it's almost like if the lesson hasn't been learned, the cord can't be cut. The contract, exactly. the contract is not fulfilled. And that's the thing too. So what I was able to do was when I realized that I was in this, this constant push and pull and what I had to look at before I could clear this cord was why am I letting her pull me into control dramas? Mm -hmm. Why am I playing this energetic dance where I make myself smaller to make her feel better? Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I was kind of very frustrated with my situation and I was talking to somebody else and they were like, well, you got, you passed over, you were a reason she was passed over in a past life. So maybe that's what it is. And it wasn't until I had that kind of like thing brought into my awareness because I hadn't gone back to look at my Akashics for this cord. Mm -hmm. I was just trying to figure out what it was, why this energetic play was there and just get rid of it. Cause I was so triggered and frustrated by it 
but it got to the point where where i could see what it was i could clear the cord and i accepted the lessons and i've learned a lot about myself from that and i'm not going to let myself fall into that situation again which is the point of that which was the point of that cord Mm -hmm. the thing that's very important too is once you clear that cord you need to know what your body needs to make that as a new truth and you need to actively try to go and reprogram your brain so you do not reattach that cord because it will come back it will come back so i had a moment where i almost played into those control dramas again after releasing that cord and then i was like oh wait a second i'm supposed to have learned this lesson i accepted what this was I'm not playing that game again. Yeah. Good for you. And it's it's made things very, very different for me with this individual at work. Yeah. Now, personally, we don't particularly like each other. That's fine with me. And here's the other thing. You do not have to like the person you have a cord with. I think the other thing that comes up when we talk about clearing cords, and I've noticed this with people I've worked with in discussing the fact that there's a cord at play between them and someone else, mm-hmm. is I was like, listen, when you've, when you, if you're ready for it, I'm not going to force this. That cord is there. It's carrying this data set that mm-hmm. I can see. When you're ready to look at that cord, let me know and we can clear it. And their instinct, their gut reaction was, if I clear that cord, that person won't be in my life anymore. So why would I clear that cord? Yeah. So the other thing when you're working with cords and contracts is you can clear them and still have those people in your life. Yeah. Yeah. I have cleared so many cords with my family, but I still talk to them every day. I've cleared so many cords with my friends, but they're still my friends. The only difference is, is I am not playing an energetic game with them anymore. So when I come through in my next lifetime as a human being, I don't have to come through with them. Yep. Yep. And I think that's what's really important about cords and contracts. Contracts, I think, operate a little bit differently than cords. You can, they're kind of used interchangeably. Mm-hmm. When I think about a contract with someone, I think of that as being very temporary. I think of that as someone coming into your life for maybe two months, whatever energetic exchange happen, happen, and then that contract is done. Now, that's not to say that contracts can't last longer, but I think you can look at the contract and be like, okay, what would it look like for me to get out of this contract sooner? What do I need to do to learn this lesson? And then once you learn that, that contract's done and you're, you can flow a little bit easier. Yep. yep. Um, and I realized while I was talking about cores and contracts, I brought up something called control dramas. Yes. And so I'm going to unpack those real quick. So <laughs> a control drama, there's four of them. And basically what a control drama is, is it is an attempt to pull energy from someone to kind of get a hit of energy for either, I'm going to say for yourself. So if you are pulling someone into a control drama, you are taking a hit of their energy. Now, like I said, there's four different types. 
there's the aloof, the victim, the interrogator, and the intimidator. Mm-hmm. Um, when I talk about the aloof, this is someone who wants you to chase them for information or yeah, I think that's the best way to exp- describe it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's more, I think, <laughs> I think of aloof as like the ultimate energy suck. See, well, no, no, no. Actually that's, I take that back. Victim is the, is the biggest energy suck in my yeah. life. But yeah, al- aloof is, it's very poor me. It's very, I need you to look out for me, but I'm not going to tell you how you're going to, I'm going to make you question and search for the information and I might give it to you. I might not, but I really want attention, but you're going to have to fight for it. (laughs) Yeah. When I think of aloof, I think of those people and I think everybody has someone who does this on their Facebook somewhere or any kind of social media who posts something like, oh, I hate when people do blah, 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 or why does this always happen, blah, 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 and they want you to chase them to get that information because what they want to do eventually is they want to switch into the victim control drama and have you fix their issue for them. And so when we talk about the victim, this is is the full-on poor me, the world hates me, everybody is against me, um, nothing goes right for me kind of person. This is the kind of person who goes to you with a problem and expects you to fix it for them. Yep. Yep. And I will admit, um, and here's the thing, right? I've been doing this work for forever. Like I said, we, we're both still very, very human And Mm -hmm. I think there's this idea that when you start to do this journey, you become this very light, happy, and airy human being, and nothing is ever wrong in your life, which honestly feels like a crock of shit because we're human. We live in the world. Mm -hmm. Things happen, right? And I'm guilty of playing aloof. So when I catch myself playing aloof, I try not to do that. I realized the other day that I start, I switched into the interrogator and what the interrogator control drama is, is you ask someone a question typic in my, usually, um, about something, a decision or a, a like feeling, and then you make them wrong for their answer. So without realizing it, I did that to my brother yesterday. I was trying to figure out what I wanted for dinner and he and I had been texting and I was, so I texted him, do I want Taco Bell? Do I want Wendy's or do I want Pizza Hut? And without realizing it, I had already made my mind up about what I was going to eat. Mm-hmm. And he was like, oh, you want Pizza Hut. And I said, no, my body doesn't want that. And I immediately realized that I had pulled interrogator drama and I felt so freaking guilty. It wasn't even funny because that's not, that's not a control drama that I usually pull. Yeah. I, I do when I go into control dramas, I typically go aloof. Like that's my go-to control drama. Mm-hmm. And I don't think of myself as cycling through them, but so immediately did that to him and 
he and I were talking, he goes, well, that leaves American or Mexican. And I was like, oh, I'm going to order Taco Bell. He's like, then why'd you ask me? (laughs) And I was like, I am so sorry. I didn't mean to pull you into that control drama. I like, I'm like, I had this moment where I was like, I know that this is a thing and I just did it. And I was like, what the hell? Like I got so frustrated with myself. And so that's, that I think is one of the perfect examples of an interrogated drama. I was aware of it. I could go through and I could apologize for it. I couldn't be like, oh shit, I did that. But I can call myself out on it because I know what the control dramas are now. Mm -hmm. Whereas before it was one of those things where I would just play into them without realizing it. And I think a lot of people do. Yeah, I think a good, I, so I, I actually, I consciously go in and out of them Mm -hmm. in kind of in, in my, my day job. Yeah. I, I realized that I was actually doing it not on purpose one day. And I I did get upset with myself because I was like, oh, come on, you know better. But I, I actually, no, I was in a meeting. This was last year. I was in a meeting and this guy was not going to hear what I was saying. Yeah. And just, poked and poked and poked and poked and asked questions and questions and questions. And I'm like, why is nothing that I'm saying getting through? Yeah. And I realized, Oh, we're in two different control dramas. This is not going to work. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And once I realized it, like literally after five minutes of going back and forth and someone say, someone in the room that I was sitting in kind of tapping me on the shoulder and being like, just let it go. Because I was like, I was going to battle. Like he was going to hear me. I was yeah. going to get my point across. And I realized like, what, what went wrong in the situation? I realized we were both in our own respective drama and we were not coming out of it. Yeah. So I realized, and this was part of the, the court that I was talking about earlier. I realized that a really big part of that chord that I had been playing with was I had been playing into their interrogator and intimidator um, control drama. Mm-hmm. And I kept playing aloof. And I think um, this is something that I've realized more recently, and especially in talking to other people about control dramas, is sometimes people mix up control dramas with masks. Yes. Yeah. And I think we can talk about masks in just a minute. I just want to talk about the last control drama, which is the intimidator. Mm -hmm. And the intimidator is the control drama in which someone kind of bullies you into giving them what they want. And that's how they get their power. I, when I think of the intimidator control drama, I think of someone trying to very much exercise that power over power dynamic. Mm-hmm. Where they're like, hey, this is what needs to be done. This is how it needs to happen. And this is how it's going to work. And it's with the intimidator, it's all about fear tactics. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to scare you into submission. Like, 
I had someone use this one on me not too long ago with, hey, this situation happened. And because of that situation, this could be the result. So it was like, you didn't do this thing I wanted you to do. And therefore, I could walk away from you. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of during this time where I had this big, big fear of being abandoned and left beside because I didn't know how to stand in my own container. Mm -hmm. And so that was a way that people would get me to do what they wanted me to do. Hey, if you don't do this, I'm going to leave. It's also, um, if you think about having, I think this is probably the biggest one if you're a parent and I'm not a parent, but I'm going to speak for parents. It's the idea that you're going to look at your kid and be like, I'm going to count to three. And when I get to three, this is going to happen. Yeah. The fear. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the complete fear of it. And that's, that's, that's one that used to be used on me a lot, that and the interrogator, which is why I started to go into the aloof. Mm -hmm. And I'll admit that when I got out of those and I was talking to someone and venting um, about what had happened, I went into the victim and I was like, this is what happened and it's never going to change, blah, 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 blah. So I think the important thing to remember with all of these control dramas is you can cycle through any of them. Um, we have the ones that we typically like to go to, which sounds a little strange. Like we get our control dramas from the way that we grew up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think best mm -hmm. way to explain it and man it's really interesting because if I think about the control dramas I see in my family I see a lot of aloof I see a lot of victim I see a lot of interrogator and I do see a bit of an intimidator so my family's got all four between both of my parents and my siblings are getting better about it uh as I've shifted things they've shifted I've also taught my brothers about the control dramas mm -hmm. and my brothers are also very aware of when someone starts to pull them into it which has become really interesting so along with control dramas I mentioned masks yeah. and a lot of people when you say oh I'm wearing a mask people typically think of that as a negative thing mm-hmm there are negative and positives to masks, right? It's in all of this work, there's, like I said earlier, it's on a spectrum, right? So masks are basically ways I think we hide ourselves energetically mm -hmm. for lack of a better way to explain it. Um, so you can wear an aloof mask, which is honestly one I wear very frequently now. Because with that mask, I don't have people exerting controlled dramas on me. Mm. So you're using it as an, as an asset. Yes. Right. A mask that I used to wear that could have more of a negative type to it is I used to want people to think I was an asshole because I didn't want people trying to get close to me. Mm. So that could have a negative um, one of the other masks, and I think a lot of us as healers, that I was wearing was the savior mask. Oh, yeah. I had to fix. <laughs> exactly. I think a lot of us are. I had to fix everything for everyone. 
Yeah. And I think as we've kind of gone through this journey and learned more, it's really clicked in me that I don't have to be that savior. I'm not saying I don't still fall into that mask because I do. Mm -hmm. But I think it's a very different mask for me to wear now. And I can be very aware of what happens when I switch into that mask. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think for me, I, I use them more as assets. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think as, as females, you know, we, we do the nurturing, we do the savior, we do the, um, you know, take everything on. Mm-hmm. And I think each each of those could be considered, you know, a mask. The I'm fine mask. Everything's fine. Um, you know, I've I've got it together, and I throughout my life has have worn the I don't want to say know it all mask, but just being the one who has the answers, mm-hmm. and that has had its benefits. But I think though in our our learning about kind of the concept of masks and then having the awareness of when we are wearing a certain mask and even further with that is knowing that you can take off and put on a mask at will to mm-hmm. use it to your benefit in a situation has been really empowering for me because I, mm-hmm. I find myself literally putting on and taking off to serve myself in certain situations and no, and not making myself wrong for it, but using it as a tool to, you know, I don't want to say a tool to deal with certain people or a tool, a tool to deal with certain situations. But when you, when you find ways to spin it positively, you can actually, Mm -hmm. you can literally work magic. For sure. I think One of the really big things, too, is I think there's a lot of people associate masks with being inauthentic. Yeah. And here's the thing, and I'm a firm, firm believer in this. I think that everyone truly does have different faces they present to different things. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that they're not being authentic in that moment. It just means that's how they want to show up that time and our masks are for sure a way that we can want to show up Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I think a lot of people start to forget that with their masks and they start to decide that oh I can't wear this mask anymore because it's it's a negative and it's not I for me I don't wear a lot of the masks that I used to anymore because those masks aren't authentic. Yep. Yep. For me, it looks very different. A lot of what I do do now is I try to focus on being my most true self. I don't sugarcoat things. I don't hide behind this idea of who I used to be. And it's one of those things where I've had people look at me since I started this journey and tell me, you're not the same person you used to be. No, I'm not the same person you thought I was. Mm. Yep. 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 
Yeah. <laughs> I, I think there's there's another layer there, right? Because when we wear masks, we are projecting something out there. Yeah. And when you decide that you are going to be the one to control your mask, you can choose to accept projections or reject them. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's so much power in it. Mm-hmm. But it but the, there's there's so much power in cho- in choosing you, in choosing yeah. how you show up authentically, so defining what your authentic self is. Mm-hmm. Two, being comfortable portraying that to the world, but then putting the masks on, taking it off at will, mm-hmm. so you can, I hate to say this, be what people need you to be in a given situation, but knowing that you're doing it on your terms, not their terms. Yeah, for sure. And I know we're trying to keep this one a little shorter than last time. Do you have any more words on your list for us to go over? I had entourage. Okay. Yeah. So I think that's a good one. I thought of um, another couple, but I feel like we can use those to discuss things in a different episode. Cause I thought about how we talked about, Bardos and grids and things like that, but we can yep. for sure talk about those a different time. Yep. But uh, do you want to describe what an entourage is? Again, I will do my current interpretation because <laughs> it is evolving. Um, so I think a lot of people in the in in this world talk about their kind of their team, their spirit guides. They're, um, you know, they're helpers, they're angels, kind of like the, the people that you lean on to guide you through difficult times or when you need a second opinion, you kind of say, hey, angels, protect me or hey, angels, what do you think about this? Or mm-hmm. um, hey, spirit team, I need your help. Can you help guide me? Mm-hmm. The your your spirit team um it's it's comprised of a variety of collectives actually mm-hmm. and they are kind of like your own personal psychologists <laughs> it's like you're you're walking talking psychologists but it's not that they know more than you it's that they are there to provide different perspectives mm-hmm in I don't want to say a time of need but if you ever do call on them and they they are made of the different collectives like like I just said and they can be in kind of human body form and or they can be in animal form they can mm-hmm. be in um, I'll say ET form mm-hmm. and I like to think of them literally as just you know friends yeah that I can lean on if ever I need kind of support or if I need an opinion on something they 
can insert themselves if they see that I need something that I, I haven't necessarily asked for it, mm-hmm. but they see the need to insert. Um, and it, you know, it could be guidance in, in terms of, hey, I need guidance. Do I go left or do I go right? Mm-hmm. Or it could be, hey, I'm in this difficult situation and I need to concentrate. Can you help me concentrate? Yeah. Or, you know, orchestrate a situation where, you know, I can concentrate or remove myself from a situation so I can get something done. Yeah. They, um, yeah, they're like my little buddies. But every, so everyone has, kind of has a team of sorts of, of buddies and entourage that mm-hmm. kind of moves around with them. And it's not always the same people throughout your entire life. They, oh, yeah. they fluctuate depending on the circumstance. They fluctuate based on the time, the time that you're going through. Mm-hmm. You can have a, a large team at any given point and, you know, they can, they can be a small team. It's kind mm-hmm. of what you need to get you through what you're going through. Yeah. So I, I would agree with that lensing. I have a little bit of a different lensing. Mine is very similar to yours. So when I think about my team, I think of them as, um, consultants like hey I have this thing and I don't know if I'm seeing the full picture do you have something to help me with this Mm -hmm. I also think of them as uh hint givers Mm -hmm. so I've had members of my team kind of like tap me on the shoulder to be like hey you need to pay attention to this so I think they can be they can be triggers they can be help for helpers um it's really interesting because you do get to know members of your team Mm -hmm. Uh, and a lot of it's really interesting for me because I think eventually down the line I'm going to be starting programs where I'm going to be teaching more of what we're talking about and I want to make sure that I have the approach the way I want it energetically and my team is helping me figure that out because I think I'm going to launch a workshop at the end of September, okay. but I'm still trying to figure out what that looks like and what the funnel is going to look like for it to happen. Mm-hmm. But I had, you know, my team came to me in a dream the other day that was like, Hey, you said you wanted $10,000. This is what you have to do to do it. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so now it's just a matter of me sitting down, bringing in the member of my team that you know, has the ability to really like zero in on business goals to help me design what I need to do. And then, okay, how do I energetically attract enough people to make that money? And is that money going to be too much for some people? Or would people be willing to pay that much for for an hour and a half workshop plus a half hour session? Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they they would help you think through all of that. Yeah. So that's what I really like about having a team. Mm -hmm. But I feel like there's, there's so many things in this world and realm and this work that you have to spend time unpacking a little bit when you first start. 
But once it clicks, it really clicks and you don't really have to think about it anymore. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the really nice things about this world is I don't have to remember anything more anymore. It's just sort of become a part of me and integrated into who I am and my energy field. Mm -hmm. And I think the other thing that's really cool, and we've mentioned working with your Akashics, but with your Akashics, you can also integrate the parts of your timelines where you've literally done this work before. And it helps so much to help you accelerate and be where you want to be at. That's mm-hmm. not to say mm-hmm. there isn't work that you'll still need to do because there is, but it's a little bit easier when you bring that back in and have that soul recall. Um, anything else you want to add? No, I think that's good. I think that's good because it does become so much easier, but I think knowing that you've got a support system to kind of help guide Mm -hmm. makes, not only does it make it easier, it makes it more fun. Yeah. I, and I think that's something that's really important to consider too. I think a lot of us start to decide that this work needs to be serious Mm -hmm. and very businessy and get to the point and things like that. But I don't think that this, you do this work for very long if you don't make it fun. Absolutely not. And I, th- I think the last time we talked about the concept of play, but I think with, with this, with there being so many options to do a lot of the kind of same work or similar types of work, mm. it becomes really important to play literally with different modalities, different tools, different concepts, different ways of thinking about all of that stuff to see what fits you best and to see what just really resonates with you and your energy and your experience and what you want to bring to the world. Because, you know, when, when you play, you're not as serious, you're not trying to be analytical. You're not trying to, um, you know, you're being purposeful, but you're not trying to just guide as much. Yeah. Here for, easier for you to just get out of your own way and kind of just let things naturally flow. Mm -hmm. And I I find for me, when I just, when I put my analytical mind aside that I flow better, I receive better. I um, just kind of open up more and it allows me to kind of be a better version of, the healer, the friend, the intuitive, the whatever that I want to be. Cause I'm not, not trying so hard. Yeah, for sure. I totally agree. So I know last week, uh, we talked about what is going on here. Sorry. I have, my computer's being weird. Um, we talked about, and we ended on a card pull. Yes. Do you have a deck ready? I do not. So I I ordered four decks. I did not open them yet. (laughs) Totally fair. So then my next question is, do you want to open one of those decks or do you want to wait? Uh, I can open one. Actually, there's one that I wanted to open. I've actually had people pull from this before for me. 
and I really like the messages. Um, and it's not like a traditional, traditional deck, which I think is good. Because it, again, it's it's a it's a spin on a framework. It's a spin on something that people, you know, know is a certain way, and then you kind of take it and you put your own lensing, you put your own energy into it and make it something that resonates with you. Mm -hmm. uh, what deck is it? So this is called The Universe Has Your Back. I, do you know what's funny? I have looked at buying that deck quite a few times yeah and every time i've thought about buying it i always get the like little inkling in the back of my head that this deck isn't for me okay like i think it's an absolutely amazing deck i've seen it so often yeah but i don't think it's a deck i'm ever gonna own yeah i i, I like i said i've had cards pulled for by others for me mm -hmm. and i liked i like the messages it doesn't have all of kind of the imagery that all the other cards uh, card decks do but i like the sentiment of the messages oh. so it was more yeah. it was more that that i really like and um yeah so i was thinking about that earlier yeah i, I ordered these a couple weeks ago and they were just sitting in the box and i was like i've got to open this um okay so i've been shuffling okay so our card for today huh okay so our card for today is oneness is our true nature Ooh, that's such a good card. I like, yeah, I like that. And it's actually kind of pretty. It's kind of got rainbow colors. Um, yeah, this one's kind of pretty. I like this message. Oneness is is my true nature. I, I, woo. sorry, just almost <laughs> dropped everything. Um, I think that's a really good message, especially for what we've been talking about, right? So a lot of what, we're doing is we're bringing ourselves back on and becoming who we truly are. Mm -hmm. And I think that is the perfect message for us to end this week on. Yep. Yep. Yeah. We're, we, we're all so different, but we're also so the same. Yeah. And there's so many tools, but we're all using them for a similar purpose. For sure. Um, so I think this is a good place for us to end this week. Um, it's been really fun. I want to thank everyone who's listened to our podcast and who's supporting us. Absolutely. We're really excited because it doesn't seem like that much, but in the first couple of days of our launch, we've actually got 10 listeners. Nice. Thank you listeners. So I'm very excited. Um, I cannot wait to see how that number grows and what that means for us and means for you. When we do have events coming up, we will let you guys know. Uh, luckily, our entire businesses are based in an online model. 
Yes. And so with that, I'm Kelly Voorhees with The Guiding Light. And I'm Shannon Smith with SNS Wellness. And we want to thank you and hope you have a wonderful week. Yep. And until next time. Bye. Bye.